Good morning, everyone. Glad you're here. Maybe a few folks trickling in here. But uh, let me wish you a happy Father's Day to all you fathers. And also, you know, Satan gets included in Father's Day. Uh, Jesus tells us that he was the father of lies. So um, even Satan, you know, gets in on the Father's Day action. Um, as I said uh, two weeks ago, I'm, every time we begin, I'm going to ask you a question. Chris Scruggs, when he was teaching on wisdom literature, he said, I'm going to ask you where you saw God at work this past week. So I'm going to ask you every week, where did you see Satan at work this week? Anybody see his footprints anywhere? All over what? Television. All over the television. Yeah. In Washington, D.C. In the White House. <laughs> Oh, they couldn't, uh, Sandy was saying, uh, when I see all these things happening, I, I, I just have to remind myself, I just need to trust the Lord. Don't worry about what Satan's doing, just go on and trust the Lord. Uh, is that correct, what I said, yes. basically? Okay, yep. blood donor turned away because he refused to answer the question are you pregnant a man of course we all know that men can get pregnant and have abortions right And I've ran into a guy I see walking dogs almost every morning and we're talking about and he was all upset. We've got to get these gun laws changed, blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know, I'm not I'm not to stop these shooting of children in schools. And I said, well, um, the reality is there are probably there are probably going to be more people, including children, killed on the streets of Chicago and New York and Los Angeles this weekend than there were in New Valley. But we don't talk about that. And those cities have the strictest gun laws in the country. So that's not the solution. Some of you, I don't know if, were any of you at the uh, Any Woman Can Breakfast? Lauren, you were there, weren't you? Um, this past week that we hosted for the whole city, and a marvelous speaker, I'm blanking on his name, uh, a black guy, and he was talking about how that it's, the fatherlessness in 40% of the homes in America are producing these shooters. And um, anyway, here's one I saw. If anybody ever comes up to you and says, well, I'm not sure we should have left that former denomination. This week, our former denomination released a Bible study entitled, this is actually the Queering of the Bible, Q 
Q-U-E-E-R-I-N-G. And a 16-part study on the Gospel of Mark, where you will learn how to view God and Scripture from a queer perspective. Okay. Satan is at work. Um, and I said, you know, Satan can't stand to be mocked. So let's start, before I pray this morning, let's, let's mock Satan a little bit. Uh, how does Satan take calls on his hell phone? Where does Satan wash his dishes? In Helsinki. And, you know, we wonder, um, why does God allow Satan to exist? Why did he create Satan? George Burns was asked that question one time. You know, who, who was God? Remember when he played God in the movie? And he said, God created Satan so people wouldn't blame him for everything. And then he created lawyers so that people wouldn't blame Satan for everything. So that's, that was George Burns. Apologies to you lawyers out there. But that, was, that was George Burns, not me. Well, okay, we better pray. We better pray. Let's, let's bow before the Lord. Dear Lord, um, you are sovereign. You are in control. Uh, Satan's real, but he's on a leash. We don't understand why he exists, why you allow him to continue to exist. Scripture is clear that you do use Satan in ways to even further your kingdom. We pray uh, for protection for us and our families and friends that you put the armor of Jesus Christ around us and protect us from any kind of satanic or demonic influence. And Lord, I pray that you'd guide our thoughts this, this morning as we look at another one of these uh, questions that Satan asks in Scripture and how he continues to ask it of us today and how that has really put your church uh, in great turmoil and weakened your church. So Lord, uh, help us to see through the ruse, uh, to cling to your truth as revealed in your word, to cling to Jesus Christ who is the truth personified, embodied in flesh and blood, and who is our only Lord and Savior. May our constant contact with him as the truth protect us from the father of lies. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me rehash sort of what we're, where we've been. This is a four-week uh, study on sa uh, questions Satan asks in Scripture. The first week, we just talked about the reality that Satan exists. The world of the demonic is real. Again, Scripture begins with the book of Job. That's the oldest book in the Bible. It starts with Satan querying God about, and, and uh, we saw last week, Satan asks the the question, does Job really fear you for nothing? Uh, the quid pro quo, he's saying, uh, the only reason Job fears you is because you've blessed his life. You know, take away the blessings, he'll curse you to his face. And we see that uh, the book of Job disproves that. And last week we talked about how this whole prosperity theology is a bunch of, you know what, that, um, you know, we don't, follow God just to get the goodies and that Christian being a faithful follower of Jesus doesn't exempt you. Here's Job, the most righteous man in the world at that time and he's not exempted from anything 
uh, because of his faithfulness to God. And so don't buy that idea that if you're just, if you love Jesus enough, all your problems will fly out of the window and you'll be spared of cancer and car wrecks and everything else. It just is not true. So we learn that at the front door of, of, of faith. And um, I raised a, I hope it was an uncomfortable question for you. It is for me. But it's a kind of one of those rock bottom questions you and I need to ask of ourselves. I, I said, what if Christ appeared to you undeniably in person and said, hey, there's no heaven or hell. Uh, nothing on the other side. No rewards, no punishments, no nothing. Come, follow me. What would you do? Would you go, well, if there's nothing in it for me, I ain't going to follow you. Or would you follow him because of who he is? And I tried to give you a little real-life illustration, like if you were in the army and you were a private walking along and a general appeared and said, Private, dig three holes right here. The private isn't going to go, well, what's in it for me? Explain to me exactly why you want me to dig those holes. Uh, you know, <laughs> instead of that general has authority, the private obeys because of who he is, because of the, the power of his office. If Jesus Christ is God incarnate, the almighty creator of the entire universe, then we should line up behind him and follow him no matter what the consequences. Now, the good news is there is something on the other side. There is heaven and hell. But we don't follow Christ just to get the goodies. We follow him because of who he is. And that's, the, that's what Job wants to dispute. I mean, Satan wants to dispute with God. He's not going to follow you because of who you are. Take everything away and he will, you know, dump you like a hot potato. But Job doesn't. So we get this model of what it means to be faithful right at the beginning of Scripture. So um, this week we're going to look at uh, really the first question Satan asks chronologically at the beginning of time. Uh, after God creates the world and he creates Adam and Eve and places them in the garden. If you've got your Bibles with you, um, turn to Genesis 3. We're going to look at the first seven verses here. And chapter 3 in Genesis is commonly known as the fall, the fall of humankind from its perfect existence and in complete relationship with God and how that is broken. And uh, here's how it goes. Because Adam and Eve are living in bliss in the Garden of Eden. Like this with God, everything's going great. And... Uh, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, this is like Narnia, you know, the animals talk or something. You know, this, we have Balaam's ass talking and now we have a serpent speaking. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, 
and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So, now how do we know this is Satan? The serpent appears. Well, if you look at um, Revelation 20 verses 1 through 3 and also um, Revelation 12 verse 9, that does say that serpent Eve encounters in the garden was a manifestation of, of Satan. Now, why did Satan... He's an angel, right? He's a fallen angel. Um, I'm not exactly sure what angels look like. We're told in Scripture that we should entertain strangers because you never know when one of those might be an angel. So apparently an angel can take the form of looking like a human being. Why didn't Satan appear like a human being? Or When Gabriel appears to, to Mary, we don't really get a complete picture but we of what he exactly looks like but um and notice every time angels appear to people in scripture remember that tv show what was it called touched by an angel and there are all these warm fuzzy stories of angels appearing and, and i'm not against that show it was probably a good show compared to the rest of the stuff on tv but it wasn't really biblical because every time an angel appears in scripture what happens Everybody's terrified. What's their first word to the people? Do not be afraid. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to bite you. And uh, so was that because they, they look awesome with Shekinah glory? I, I don't know. But every time they appear in Scripture, people are afraid. You don't get the indication that Eve is in, in any way intimidated by this serpent. Now, this obviously, Satan must have taken the form of not a Komodo dragon. Anne and I were in Indonesia one time. We went to Komodo Island, and these Komodo dragons, they uh, are vicious. And um, in Indonesia, they let you get up close to them. In the United States, you know, they'd have three walls in between you, and you could you know, peer through a thick glass. Or something. There, you, if they decide to attack you, they have, you know, they have people, wildlife guys there with a stick. To protect you in case the Komodo dragons come after you, and all the all the all the park rangers have fingers or arms missing. <laughs> I feel really confident here. So maybe Satan comes across more like the 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 Geico gecko, you know, a sweet little guy with a British accent, and she's not intimidated uh, by him at all. But there's an important word here that we can easily jump over. It, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. Now, what do we know about what God has said to Adam and Eve about the beasts of the field? Can you remember what God said? He said, you're to have dominion over all the beasts. What does that mean? It doesn't mean we're to were to be good stewards and care for them, but you're up here and uh, the beasts are down here. Scripture makes clear that human beings are the crown of creation. Now there's a professor, professor at Princeton Seminary, Peter Singer, and he's not a Christian. Pres Princeton was, you know, formerly a Presbyterian school, now it's totally secular. Peter Singer is a professor 
And uh, here's some of the things he's, he has said. He said, um, every child that's born should be put on probation till age three, then the parents can decide whether or not uh, to let it live or not. That's Peter Singer. Also, Peter Singer is big into speciesism. He says, um, human beings are speciesists. We think our species is the best, and we sh have dominion over all, everything else. And, and really, he said, we should treat our species the same as we treat insects or anything else. He also says that everyone should uh, be executed at age 65, euthanized, because uh, that would, would take a drain off of society. Now, you know, I'm going to talk about the Enlightenment, the Enlightenment in just a minute, but one of the facts is that people that spout all this stuff are never consistent. They can never really live it out. And Peter Singer's a good example. They discovered that he was secretly keeping his mother, who was about 80, in a nursing home somewhere. And uh, so, you know, you, nobody's, none of these whacked out people are ever totally consistent with what they believe. So um, Eve was supposed to not get in a battle with a beast. She should have been over that beast and told him to get lost or something like that. And, you know, here's some, a thing in Scripture that's hard to understand. The world is perfect at that time. Adam and Eve are in perfect relationship with the Lord. And, but this encounter with this beast kind of interjects the whole idea of, of sin and uh, evil into this perfect world. Why does God allow that? Scripture's silent. It just says it happens. But it says that he's not only a beast, but he's crafty. And so his pur the purpose of his question really is to instill doubt in Eve's mind about God's guidance and God's word. He said, did God actually say? Now, I said last week, Satan basically wants two things from you and me. He wants us to believe he doesn't exist, because then he's free to roam and do his thing if we don't believe him. We're not looking for him. And he wants us to self-destruct, to take our own lives. But I'm going to throw in a third thing. He wants you and me to doubt God's word. Did God actually say? So he, he in, in, injects this whole thing of doubt in Eve's mind. And she makes her mistake. Instead of saying, get out of here, she decides she is going to try to defend God. Now, that seems like a, a good thing to do. But she's kind of befuddled. And Satan says, is it true that God, God actually said you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? And she's like, oh, wait a minute. She's never had to deal with doubt about what God said before. And so, said, no, 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 no. He said we can eat of all the fruit, except for that one tree in the middle. Um, have you ever stopped to think about, you know, God gave Adam and Eve carte blanche over everything in creation, except one thing. I like to say when people say, I, I, 
are we supposed to tithe? Now that I'm not an active pastor, I can talk about tithing all the time. Do you got? Um, a lot of people say, well, I just, that doesn't seem right. I always say, think of it this way. Everything you have belongs to God. God's so gracious, he allows you to do whatever you want with 90% of it. That's a pretty good deal. So he, he, he gives Adam and Eve everything, but uh, this one thing. And, and Eve starts obsessing on that. It's kind of like if I told you, okay, nobody think of elephants the rest of the time in this clay. All you're going to think about is elephants. All she can think about now is that. And, and then in trying to defend God's word, she actually embellishes it. This is always a danger. She said, he said, we can't touch it. We, we can't eat of it, and we're not to touch it. If you go back and look at what God says, he never said anything about touching it. He just said, you're not to eat the fruit. So she gets befuddled. Doubt is introduced. And she begins to doubt God's word here. And, it, and Satan then seduces her even more and says, you know, if you eat that fruit, you're going to be like God. And I think, well, I think all of us down deep inside want to be God. Uh, every time we sin, we're saying, nope, I'm going to take over here and be God. And you may say, well, that's not me, but it really is. We all would like to run the universe. And I don't like a lot of the things I see going on in the world, and I would stop them if I were God. And I wonder, what are you doing? Um, and there's that doubts being sowed in me that I would run the universe a whole lot better than God would. No, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. So are you going to doubt or are you going to trust? And now Eve, is. this is introduced in there, and you know, she takes the bait. Takes the fruit, eats it, passes it on to Adam. Let me talk about the enlightenment a little bit with you because this really is, you could argue, it's the, the world's big breakthrough for Satan. Up until the enlightenment in the 17th century, um, not everybody was Christian, but it was a very theocentric-oriented universe. Wherever you went, most people acknowledge that there's some kind of god or gods, and gods that were active in the world, and, and uh, in the Western world, and Eastern world, I mean from the Mideast on over, wherever the uh, Christian faith has taken hold, um, life was very theocentric. I'm a former research scientist. Uh, I've got a BA in pre-veterinary medicine, master of science in cell biology, um, wanted to be a veterinarian. And so I still read science. I, I'm a scientist before I was a pastor. And uh, I study the history of science. Science would not exist if it wasn't for the Christian church. Don't believe the lies you hear because Satan's spreading them that, you know, if you follow the science, you will not go to to God. You will become a total secularist. That's just not true. And there would be no science if it weren't for the Church of Jesus Christ. It was all the early scientists were Christians. And it was based on the idea that there is a creator and the world is, is made in an understandable uh, way. It has order and meaning to it. 
Therefore, the more we explore the creation, uh, because God is the creator, the more we're going to learn about who God is, uh, what his nature is like. And so all the early Christian or scientists were, were believers. Then the so-called Enlightenment came along, and that spawned the French Revolution. Uh, and, uh, you know, fr France. Do you know that Notre Dame Cathedral, they changed the name of it when the, that whole nation just switched from being theocentric to an atheist nation. And they renamed Notre Dame uh, the Cathedral of Reason. And they took the cross out there and they would have these pagan worship experiences in there. And uh, the whole idea of the Enlightenment was uh, we're now uh, to focus not on God, but on humanity, humanism. Now, there's a part of humanism that's good, where we should respect human beings and uh, value them and everything. But when you put human beings into the center instead of God, you wind up with a humanistic view of the world or a materialistic view saying that, you know, there's nothing outside of what we can materially see and touch and and, it's a, and we live in a closed universe. There's no God who enters in and can do anything. And so uh, people that bought into the Enlightenment um, had to get rid of the supernatural and miracles. And it captured the, the universities of, of Europe. Um, and uh, basically said they're... they're there is no God, and so there's no meaning or purpose in life. And one of the, the real uh, exemplars of the Enlightenment period was uh, Count Machiavelli. Uh, you'll hear people say, we live in a Machiavellian society. Machiavelli was an atheist, and he said, what's good or moral or right is not based on any absolute truth or... or um, you know, code or anything. It's decided by whoever is in power. Who has the power decides what's true and right and moral. So Nazi Germany, Hitler said it would be good to wipe out the Jews. And they counted that to be a good thing. So they threw out the Bible. They threw out any kind of uh, moral basis. And that's why the uh, American Revolution was different than the French Revolution. French Revolution, they wound up putting everybody in the guillotine. The American Revolution, this was a nation founded on God. We've never been a Christian nation, but we're founded on biblical principles, our Constitution, Declaration of Independence. All that is true. People like James Madison, George Washington said, if America ever ceases to be Christian, the Constitution will give way and we will cease to be a nation. Folks, we are here. I really wonder if this nation's going to make it. And Satan is fueling this whole movement. And science gave way to scientism. There's a great Presbyterian theologian, Francis Schaeffer. He died in 1984. I just finished reading his complete works. In the early 80s, he was talking about, we have already lost our Christian foundation here in the United States, we're running on memory, not actual experience of it. And he said, here's what's gonna happen when this thing finally disappears. He talks about the politicization of everything. 
So you're going to see the politicization of law. We're seeing that right now when the Justice Department is used to go after certain people, not others. The politicization of science. Again, I'm, I'm a science scientist and I'm appalled when I watch this whole COVID thing. What a, what a joke. And I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat or anything else. There was just bad science going on out there. P, I had COVID, I guess a year ago, April. And I'd tell people that and they said, are you going to get the vaccine? Now, I'm not pro any certain group. I think scientifically. I always say to them, if I just told you I had the flu, would you ask me if I'm going to go get a flu shot? I said, well, no. I said, then why are you asking me that? I've got, I'm packed with antibodies. There's no use for me to. I'm not saying if you went and got the shot, you're bad or anything else. But I think you, I wouldn't, if I was a doctor, I wouldn't coach you to do that. And we're seeing some bad stuff from this. But anyway, um, so the Enlightenment, you know, no longer looked at Scripture as the word of God. And, uh, but a bunch of primitive religious ideas and opinions mixed with superstition. Now, you've got the church existing in this Enlightenment period, and um, a lot of professors in these universities, most European universities had seminaries connected to them. And the faculty had pretty much gone Enlightenment in the university. And the professors in the seminaries wanted to be respected and so they found themselves trying to buy into as much of the Enlightenment stuff without totally giving up their faith as they could. And so you wound up with what really is liberal Christianity. Um, they didn't want to chunk out Scripture, so they demythologized it. Thomas Jefferson was a deist. He believed he, he wasn't totally into the Enlightenment. He believed there was a God, but deists compromised with the Enlightenment by saying, yeah, there's a God, but he created everything, but he kind of wound it up like a universe, like a clock, and then set it aside. He doesn't interfere. So Jefferson wanted the respect of the Enlightenment people, uh, that he's not superstitious and everything else. So if you go to um, Jefferson's home, Monticello, Charlottesville, Virginia, you can actually see the original copy of the Jeffersonian New Testament. What Jefferson did is he took the New Testament and since he didn't believe in any miracles, he cut out all the, literally, had it republished. So there's no miracles. It's just Jesus is a nice guy who says a lot of good things. Now, somebody that used to be a member of our congregation, they had a death and they left this congregation because they thought this place was too fundamentalist. But when their relative died, and I knew that relative, they asked me to do the funeral. It was the worst premarital counseling, I mean, pre-funeral <laughs> session I ever had. Oh, they were, it was awful. And, um, and the mother finally looked at me and she said, I don't want all this Bible stuff in there that you want. And I said, well, okay. And she got up, left, came back and said, here, you ought to read this. It was a copy. And here, you can have it. She said, I hand these out to everybody. It was the Jefferson New Testament. I took it as a thanks. 
When I got home, I saw something really shocking. I opened it up, and it said in the front cover page, printed under the auspices of the Congress of the United States of America. Your tax dollars and mine are printing up these Jeffersonian New Testaments. You might want to call your congressman on that one. Um, did God actually say? Liberals start saying, nah, he didn't. God doesn't speak. Um, so Satan sows these seeds of, of distrust of God and his word in Eve, and that's coming down right down to today. Uh, here's what Eve should have remembered. There's an old saying, if you're going to dine with the devil, you better use a long spoon. Her mistake was she took him on and tried to defend God. What happens is she winds up getting infused with doubt and, and distrusts God. And so winds up taking the fruit. Because down deep inside, yeah, I really would like to be God. And so um, she thinks she can spar with Satan and... Um, over and against God's best for her life. You know, a lot of times you and I think we need to defend God, we need to defend Scripture. Charles Spurgeon, there's a great quote. Somebody asked him, what's the best way to defend the Bible? And he said, you defend the Bible the same way you defend a lion. You let it loose. I've stopped trying to defend Scripture to people. Instead, I say, why don't you read the Gospel of Mark and show, come back and tell me everything you found wrong in it. And they never come back. I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit might jump out and get them. But uh, God doesn't need defending either. Um, I think we need to stand up for what we believe, but we don't have to, you know, God can defend himself. Did God actually say? Let's, let's bring that to where you and I live today, because Satan's still asking the same question of us. In Scripture we read, well, God, first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And our culture said, did God actually say that? Yeah, he did. Interfaith dialogue. I'm asked to be a part of these things all the time. I always decline. I'm all, for, I'll debate Jews and Hindus and Buddhists and everything else. I'm not going to worship with them. You know, one of these multi-faith services where we're praying to everybody's God. Did God actually say? Yeah, he did. But our Satan whispers, no, he didn't. And to be a good, accepted person in our culture today, you need to be interfaith. Thou shalt not kill. And if you study that commandment, pacifists will say that bans any and all killing. That's why all war is wrong. I respect them. War is hell, like Sherman said. But uh, Augustine was the person that came up with the, the, what we call the just war theory. And he said, there are times, it's always sin, but there are times when we need to stand up and defend ourselves. And, and, um, but what the Hebrew word kill is really referring to is the shedding of innocent blood. Innocent blood. Cold-blooded murder. D 
did God actually say, our culture today is saying, you brought up abortion. Abortion's okay. Our former denomination actually made a statement that abortion can be an act of faithfulness. Did God actually say, that's okay? How about, um, there's not a hell? Did God actually say there's hell? Yeah, there is. I don't like the doctrine of hell. Wish there wasn't one. I don't want Adolf Hitler in hell. I wouldn't want anybody in hell. If it's as bad as scripture makes out, I don't want anybody to suffer for eternity. Did God actually say that? I have Christian friends who describe themselves as evangelicals. But I don't believe, I, I, I think that's a part I can overlook. God didn't actually say that. In our former denomination, they came up, I'm going to teach you a technical word here, her, hermeneutic. Hermeneutic is the way you and I interpret, it's the lens we use to interpret scripture. There are really, there are a number of lenses out there. The faithful one is, we read scripture as being the inspired, infallible word of God from Genesis through Revelation. Therefore, we take everything in scripture seriously, even if we don't like it, and if we don't even understand it. We just bow before the mystery, but we take it as the word of God. Our former denomination came up with this hermeneutic of justice love. So you look through that lens, and if the text seems just, then you accept that as God's word. Or if it seems loving, you accept that as God's word. But if neither of those things, then that's probably not God's word. I said in here last week, watch out for the pastor who says, listen for the word of God in the scripture we're about to read, like maybe somewhere in here, it's the word of God. Um, now, uh, what that does is it makes you the arbiter <laughs> of what is just and what is loving. Uh, Adolf Hitler would say it's loving to exterminate all these Jews because, you know, they obviously shouldn't exist. So watch out. Satan saying, did God actually say there's not a hell? That's not loving. How many genders are there? Satan saying, did God? You know, the one text that is quoted by Moses, I mean, not Moses, uh, it's, it was written by Moses, but um, is quoted by Jesus and Paul. The only text quoted by Jesus and Paul is this, right before the fall. Let me read it to you. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's the only text quoted by Jesus and Paul, which ought to mean that's pretty important. How many genders are there? When Bruce Jenner, I remember watching him come into the stadium winning the decathlon, the Olympic gold medal in 1976. Man, he was a man's man. He was my hero. Yeah. I went out and bought Wheaties because it had his picture on the box. And, you know, then he went through his thing. Poor guy. I just feel for him. When he got national acclaim for transgendering, Paul McHugh, he's retired now, but he was the head of psychiatry at Johns Hopkins. Hussman. I was a pastor in Baltimore for 11 years. I never knew him, never met him. But he oftentimes was, was writing in the Baltimore Sun on different 
psychiatric issues. When Bruce Jenner transgendered, he wrote an op-ed piece, you can Google it, Paul McHugh, Wall Street Journal, transgender. And it'll pop up his article. He started the first transgender program at Johns Hopkins back in the 70s. He's the pioneer. And they transgendered hundreds of people. In the article, he talks about how they performed surgery on about 80% of the people that applied. The other 20%, they, for whatever reason, they didn't do it. But then they tracked all of these people over the decades. And he said what he found horrified him. He found out that the, pretty much the 20%, Fred figured out, I really am a guy, and, and went on with his life, and it was fun. But he found that all the people that they operated on, their suicide rates, instead of going down, went up. And he said we should not be championing Bruce Jenner. We should be pitying him. These people are mentally ill. That's Paul McHugh said this, psychiatrist. I would like to see his email box after that. Did God actually say there are only two genders? Right now, I think they're saying there's 168. My master's is in the area of reproductive physiology. I can tell you the Bible's correct. There's only two, two genders. And, you know, if a transgender male goes to a woman, is in a plane, and the plane goes down, and his body's splattered all over, and they're collecting the DNA, they find his, they're going to say, it's, that was a man. Because I can't change my chromosomal makeup. I've got two X chromosomes. Anne has an X and a Y. And uh, no, I'm sorry, she's got two X chromosomes. I got an X and a Y. Um, I can't do that. Um, let me let me end by quoting Saint Anthony of Padua. Which, after which our city is named, St. Anthony. He was a personal friend of St. Francis. They lived in late 12th, early 13th century. And uh, so they founded St. Antonio. They got here on St. Anthony Day of Padua. And he says this about, uh, oh, I want to say one more thing before I get to that. Jesus' last words on the cross. Anybody know what they were? It is finished. Satan wants to come up to you and say, did God actually say that? And most Christians I know are buying Satan's lie. We're back to this prid quo, quid pro quo stuff again. You remember I told you last week the story of the elder at Highland Park Press who's going to die. I said, Bob, are you assured of yourself? Yeah, I think. I guess... If my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. And I said, Bob, why don't you become a Muslim? That's Muslim thought. So Satan is coming to you and me all the time and saying, did God actually say it's finished on the cross? Oh, there's a bunch of stuff you've got to do. You've got to live your life this certain way. You've got to do these things before God's really going to let you in. And most Christians are believing that stuff. A lot of them anyway. Don't believe it. Satan is the father of lies. When Jesus said, it is finished, your salvation, if you've bowed the knee to him, is completely secured. 
There's nothing that I can do to save myself. Nothing. The only thing I bring to a relationship with Christ is my sin. He provides everything else. And all I can do is, is cling to him. And it's his faith that saves me, not my pitiful faith. Back to St. Anthony of Padua. He said this about Satan. The devil is afraid of us when we pray and make sacrifices. He is also afraid when we are humble and good. He is especially afraid when we love Jesus very much. Let's pray. Lord God, may we love Jesus very much. May you instill in us a humility and a goodness that comes from you rubbing off on us as we grow deeper in a personal relationship with Christ. May we be men and women of prayer who when Satan sees us hit our knees, he gets very afraid. May we not shrink back from making the sacrifices that you call us to make in life, chiefly to take up our cross and follow Christ wherever he calls us to go, no matter what the consequences, even if it would cost us our life. Lord, I think of those Christians around the world in persecuted countries where that's not a theoretical question, but a daily one for them. And Satan's whispering in their ears, it's not worth it. Did God actually say to follow him in that awful way? Lord, give us ears, fine-tune our ears of faith in tune with your still small voice that we can't hear Satan tempt us. May we not be like Eve wanting to be God. Help us to be humble servants of you, the living Lord. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we'll look at one more question Satan asks next week, and then I think Paul is going to take over the month of July. In August, we'll start a series on the Apostles' Creed in depth. I think it's going to be 12 weeks. I'm going to teach that. So, um, hope you all come back for this, those things.